Well, welcome to the Pray for Surf podcast. I'm Phil Miliarati, and I'm glad to be talking again to Mark Dillon, the author of 50 Sides of the Beach Boys. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm great, Phil. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Now, how long ago was it that that book, 50 Sides, came out? You know, it just celebrated its fifth anniversary. Five. That's amazing. Wow. Yep. Coinciding with uh, the Beach Boys reunion tour of 2012, 50th anniversary tour. Well, if someone's listening to this who doesn't know what that book is or has never bought it or read it, uh, where can they find it? Because any Beach Boy fan, every Beach Boy fan ought to have that in their library. Well, certainly you can get it uh, through the major online booksellers, Amazon, uh, iTunes, and uh, you know some of the others, I'm sure. Sure, okay. There's well, also an audio book uh, available wow. through Amazon and audible.com, and uh, I do the narration, and uh, you haven't lived until you've heard my impression of John Lennon, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I was hoping you were going to say that each uh, chapter, each song that you dealt with, you know, the Beach Boys sang it or something, especially for you. Now, that would be a 50th uh, album. That'd be super. Well, you know, relating to the topic at hand, which is uh, the Sunshine Tomorrow release, uh, Brian Wilson once sang, can't wait too long, over the phone to me. So that was a highlight of my life. Oh, that that is cool. Just a couple lines or the whole thing? Hey, see, not the whole thing, but uh, enough, yeah. you know, enough to make me happy. Oh, wow. Well, I'm, I'm jealous. I had uh, Bruce play me. Uh, this does also relate to, to this uh, Sunshine Tomorrow. Uh, played me uh, Heroes and Villains. I think it was the seven-minute version before it was even released. Uh, and I was listening on a payphone in front of their office somewhere in L.A. as a teenage kid tra- traipsing around trying to find the Beach Boys. And instead of really listening, I was thinking, this is amazing. I'm hearing this, and Bruce is playing it for me. And I remember that part. I don't remember how uh, how it went or if, if it was a one, one-off version or what. But it was a great experience. That is one of my favorite stories, so I love that. Yeah. Well, let's get into this. It's uh, early July uh, 2017. Sunshine Tomorrow has just come out uh, literally uh, maybe a week or so ago. Uh, what I'd like to ask you first, Mark, is when you heard, before you heard the, uh, the, the two CDs, but you knew it was coming out, what was your first thought that this is going to be released? Well, I have to admit I was pretty excited about it because uh, the album Wild Honey is uh, very special to me as a Beach Boys fan. It was really the album that got me to dig deeper. Um, you know, like many people, when I was young, I was uh, a big fan of their 1962 to 1965 era. But uh, when I got to about college age, I have to admit, I was a bit embarrassed by uh, by the Beach Boys, and I sort of hid my <laughs> my Beach Boys love because they yeah. just were not they were not cool at that time. Um, but you know, I got more into you know, reading up uh, about the history of rock and roll. And I'll tell you, it was, it was a book by Dave Marsh, who used to be critic for Rolling Stone, and Kevin Stein called The Book of Rock List, which is, which is a fabulous little book where they rank albums uh, from every year uh, in rock history up until 1980, like their, their choice for the 40 best singles and the 40 best albums. And so then in 1967, which, you know, as everybody knows, was a pretty crowded year for great albums, there's yeah. Wild Honey situated at number eight, eighth best album of the year, according to them. So I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's interesting. You know, I, the only song I knew off that album was Darlin', uh, yeah. and Aren't You Glad, I guess I heard on the Live in London album. So, you know, I, as soon as I had a chance to pick up a vinyl copy, I did, and uh, I loved it. And uh, there was no looking back. I became uh, a rabid Beach Boys fan again after that point. So, yeah, to answer your question, you know, when this expanded look at 1967 was announced, uh, yeah, I was certainly excited about it. Were you, you uh, how, were you born in 1967, or you were just... No, I was not, I was not yeah, nowhere I, on this earth in 1967. Right, I didn't think so, I didn't want, want to embarrass if you were, but uh, see, I was, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm 68 now, so I lived through, you know, the, the, the chronology, the sequence of their albums, and I always wonder... And I love your story because part of me is like, well, I, 
experience this, these in real time and the context of the culture and all that kind of stuff, I wonder what, what it's like for a, a guy like you or gals who is a true deep cuts, want to know everything fan, but you didn't, you didn't experience the Beach Boys sequentially, or did you? I mean, I well, and this that. is why it was all a revelation to me. Uh, you know, I just didn't know any of this stuff, and uh, at a certain point didn't even know it existed. I mean, I, I, I knew the early hits. I guess my, my only clue into it, um, you know, with the Beach Boys riding this resurgence in the 1970s, they put out uh, a Best Hits album, I guess yeah. it was on the Warner Reprise, called Good Vibrations, Best of the Beach Boys. And so this covered the 1966 uh, to 1973 era, so, you know, Darlin was on that. But, you know, there's, there's a bunch of cuts off that album that, that made me realize there was more there and, you know, made me very curious about albums like that and Sunflower, but they were just nowhere to be found. But right. uh, I, I guess maybe around the late 80s, they came back into print, uh, some of them, and uh, Wild Honey was one of them. And I, I picked it up uh, when I was about 18, I guess, and uh, loved it. And that was just the start. After that, I had to get everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody's experience uh, is, of course, unique to themselves. But I, I just wonder, I'd love to talk to somebody who first encountered the Beach Boys with Wild Honey and, and what they, you know, what it was like to hear other kinds. Because this is so almost a one-of-a-kind album for them. There's some splash over with Smiley Smile and even into Friends. But um, I, th I think you could argue that 10 years later, Brian did this again with the Beach Boys Love You. I, I find that very much to be like a 70s uh, yeah. version of Wild Honey. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that stuff. Uh, you're a, 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 in, in your real life, you, you write um, as a movie critic, rap critic, rap music critic. Is that is that a good way to describe it? My, my, my focus do? is mostly on the film and television industry, so uh, okay. that, that's the kind of stuff I'm usually writing. Okay, but you you know you write reviews is what I'm saying. So would you give us uh, uh, without going into any of the specifics, just what's your review? You've heard it, uh, you know these two CDs. Um, what words come out when if you were to speak a, a quick three-word review, three words or a couple sentences, uh, someone who maybe even hasn't heard this thing yet. What, three words? How about great for fans? Great for fans. Okay, why do you say that? Well, I mean, if you sort of gauge the reaction uh, through social media, like the fans are going crazy for uh, for this release. I mean, I don't know if it's where I'd say somebody that doesn't know the Beach Boys should start, but I mean, if you have that love for the Wild Honey album, uh, it's very listenable. I mean, in a lot of ways, we, we've gotten some of this material before in, in, in bits yeah. and pieces. I mean, it's nice the way they've, they've put it all together. I mean, some of it we haven't gotten, in all fairness. But, I mean, it, it's, it's nice the way they put it all together to really give you a, a very clear window on, on the Beach Boys in 1967 after the, uh, the Smile album collapsed. Because, I mean, you've got, you've got Smiley Smile, uh, unreleased takes. You've got uh, Wild Honey in stereo. You've got their aborted um, live album laid in Hawaii and uh, some other live cuts. So, I mean, uh, of all these, I mean, we, we should mention that part of this is, is uh, kind of a copyright renewal release, and we're going to get one of these hopefully every year, which is fine by me. If you don't release this stuff within 50 years, then, then the copyright yeah. goes into the public domain is yeah. my understanding. But, I mean, I think there's a very good reason beyond that to uh, to release this stuff. I mean, certainly a lot of people are talking about the Sgt. Pepper's uh, 50th anniversary release. And I mean, Wild Honey is, is the complete opposite. The only similarity that they bear is that, uh, you know, Bruce Johnston sings a cover of With a Little Help from My Friends. But, uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it, it just, you know, the, the Beach Boys doing such a 180-degree turn, you know, Brian producing these big tracks for Smile and then putting that on the shelf and then, you know, they retreat to his new living room studio and, and, and they function as a band and they do these, like, very... Uh, slight songs, you know, it, it seems like a like a, a, a very strange uh, change in direction, and I'm sure, having lived through it, you you could comment more on that. But I mean, in retrospect, yeah. this album has become a classic. You know, I mean, very famously, Robert Crisco, who's the uh, dean of American rock critics, uh, put this album in his top ten albums of all time in a list that he did uh, back in the '70s. So you know, th there's there's more to it than immediately meets the ear. I would say. 
Well, I think you're absolutely right. And that the way, that last thing you just said is really my experience when it came out. I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm not a music critic. Critic. I'm not a musician. I played drums with a small group for 20 seconds, kind of thing. So, but I love their stuff. So uh, that doesn't make me an expert on anything. But um, when it first came out, it was uh, disappointing. Is not quite the right word. I was disappointed that they, no matter what they, put, it just felt like oh, no matter what they would have put out, it would have been ignored because it was them. So no one really gave it a listen. Uh, and again, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a, a real musician but as i listened i didn't know what it was but it just sounded so muddy and i think one of the uh you know my my three words would be uh, stunning uh, uh brilliant and and insightful uh or, or revisionist uh, the, the stunning part was just listening to the stereo version and it was like and others have said this uh, i don't mean to copy their words but it was like hearing it for the first time it's like and so, so one of my little tweets was, if you think you heard Wild Honey, listen to this. In other words, listen to Wild Honey, you know, on, on maybe not on steroids, but on stereo. And and, and so, the, so when you said great for fans, as uh, your review, my anticipation of it was anything but. It was like, well, you know, we're just getting some copyright stuff. Some of this is bootleg stuff. Heard some of this before. It'll be, you know, anything new, Beach Boys, I'm happy for. But it went way beyond that for me. And, uh, you know, it makes me wonder, and again, I'm not a studio guy either, but why would they have put it out in a way that if, if, they, if it could have been so crisp and clear and brilliantly sounding, um, maybe that just shows my ignorance, but uh, I wonder if, if that was a mistake that made people think the songs were a mistake. I'm not wording that well, but you know what I'm getting at? Well, I guess the technology has improved. Uh, you know, I guess they were mixing to mono back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's give credit to Mark Lynette for the great work that he does in, oh in going back yeah. to these uh, these old recordings and, and remixing them. I mean, I understand what you mean by muddy sound. It always had that. I think as far as the stereo remix goes, some of it is better and some of it is not as good. Particularly on the track Wild Honey, I, I don't like the stereo version. Like, it makes it seem so sparse because I think the way it was, it, like, you know, Brian obviously being deaf in one ear always preferred mono, but, I mean, yeah. it just it seemed thicker in the mono version, like with Carl's voice, like, commanding the track right in the middle. Um, now, when it's separated, it, like, instrumentally it sounds very thin, but that's not always the case. In fact, usually it's it's not the case. I think the revelations... Aren't you glad? And, and might I just oh my, say, this yes. is one of the best Beach Boys songs ever. I can't, I can't say enough about this song. It, it's an R&B song that lifts my spirits no matter how many times I hear it. And, and what we hear in this new remix are these fantastic horn lines. You can yeah. barely hear in, in the mono, barely. We know that they were there because this was a, a, a song that the band would do in concert for several years afterwards, and there are some great live versions of it on Live in London, and uh, there's a bootleg version that's fantastic from uh, the Big Sur Folk Festival of 1970. That's probably the best version I ever heard, and we get a 1970 live version on this uh, collection as well, and boy, those horns sound great. They just leap right out of the speakers at you, and the same can be said for Darlin' as well. You realize this is actually where some of the tracks are, are uh, pretty thin. <laughs> Excuse me, Darlin's actually got a lot going on, and the horns sound great. Oh, my. Yeah, it's such a, a weird thing to remember that time. Uh, I, I remember, um, you know, go, going to uh, see, I didn't go, you actually go to the concert, they were, this is maybe a little few years later, but it was just a time where uh, they they were off the radar screen. They were playing small houses or you know uh, crowds. Uh, I just walked right into the place where they were rehearsing. Talked with Al Jardine. Met them later. I mean, you know, just nothing like the kind of uh, thing we see today. And yet, I, I think what what happened to these albums during that time, it's like, well, they didn't sell well, so they must not have been good. Brian was, you know, buzzed out of his mind. And I think everything got lumped into that muddiness thing. And uh, at least for me, this, this is a revelation of, wow, this 
this is a great album. These are great songs. And like you said earlier, and others have said, this is the Beach Boys band singing and playing here. Just very interesting, and I'm very happy for it, for sure. We we see how adept uh, Bruce Johnston was at, at the keyboards. Uh, we got to remember mm-hmm. Dennis is there playing the drums. You know, for for many years, I think people have have generally had a positive view of this album. But but I think there, it's an uncomfortable album unless you open your mind because not only is it so uh, minor in a, in a production scope sense, but it's the yeah. Beach Boys doing this kind of R and B flavored stuff, which which it's quite different. I mean, you could say, sure, the early stuff has those Chuck Berry riffs. That that that's R and B ish, but this is more, you know, as has been stated, this is more influenced by Stevie Wonder. They cover Stevie Wonder and, and right. the Motown sound, the stack sound, like more uh, vocally emotive uh, soul music. So I think people were like, yeah, it's good, but you know, this is the Beach Boys doing R and B. Like so, you know, <laughs> some of the tracks, like their cover of "I Was Made to Love Her," has been dissed in the in the press over the years. How She Boogalooed It has been dissed in the press. I think these are great songs. Like, let's just, like, accept this, you know, yeah, the Beach Boys did this R&B album. They did it well. That's just, that's just the bottom yeah. line, I think. Well, I also think, uh, like, How She Boogalooed It, I'd Love Just Once to See You. I think that's also the harmon- uh, harmony, the uh, humor aspect that maybe especially Brian Bing- brings in. Um, you know, most of his albums somewhere have something that, is I think an attempt at humor. There's an interesting article on this in the most recent Endless Summer Quarterly that uh, speaks to this whole concept. And so I think, you know, I think they were doing serious songs, but they're trying to have some fun with this stuff. And that too is typical Beach Boys. So again, it's like, you know, maybe they weren't so uh, destitute musically as uh, I thought, or was, you know, by reading the press at the time and the top 40 charts where they didn't appear very much, you know, led to believe. So it's uh, kind of a revelation. I'm really glad they've done this. And like you said, every year, or at least every uh, uh, segment of, of time with uh, their future albums, hopefully we'll get the same kind of treatment, maybe even more stuff. So that would be oh, great. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff uh, that, that, that we haven't heard yet that uh, that will also be a revelation. You, you mentioned I'd Love Just Once to See You, and I remember the first time listening to that, like the, the little twist ending to that, yeah. you know, I, I howled. I mean, I won't yeah. give it away for those who, who haven't heard it, or I don't know if it matters, but I, yeah. I mean, it, it is hilarious. Like, it's, it's a setup, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it's funny because getting back to Robert Crisco, who's so champion this album, he seems to write as if this is the, the key track on the album, not just because it has a little R-rated uh, ending to it, but, yeah. but because it, it's, it's very introspective. It, and he, Brian Wilson wrote a whole oeuvre of songs like this afterwards, like just kind of these little, like you, you get to spend a little time in Brian's mind as he's doing yes. the dishes or, you know. Right, a, right. Great song. And, and it doesn't yeah, really rely on harmony. the birds, yeah. So yeah, I cut no. you off. Keep going, keep going. No, I mean, that, that, that was basically it. I mean, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it took him in a new direction, I think, and he did very good stuff. Like, I mean, the Friends album, I think you could say, kind of springs uh, directly from that song, and, and that's that approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with this one, again, my non-professional ears hearing it, uh, what I call muddy, uh, I, and a, a song like I'd Love Just Want to See You or How She Bogaluted, you know, s- simple songs and done very simply, as, as you said, with, you know, just their band playing the instruments. But what this production has done for me is allowed me to hear them in a way, maybe it's because of the stereo or, and again, Mark Lynette has done just a great job. But it's like, well, this is simple, but it's still good. Uh, and I, I think when I first, you know, was dealing with the album as a kid. It was like, ah, well, nice try, guys. And it certainly hasn't gone very far. So um, there, there's I a certain it, directness to it. I mean, you know, it, it's funny. Just yesterday, I, I read somebody posting on Facebook that, you know, apologizing to Beach Boys fans and saying, sorry, I just don't love the Pet Sounds album. To me, like, it, it has three great singles and it's a big meh other than that. And I don't understand why everyone goes crazy for it. I mean, I, I can understand that point of view because it's very ornate. It's very it's very produced. You have to appreciate that aspect of it. Wild Honey is, is different, but in some ways it's more direct. 
you know, like here are the here are the guys like doing these songs live, you know, in in, in Brian's studio, and uh, you know, Bruce Johnson said some of his uh, keyboard parts he do in one pass. Like there's a certain yeah. directness to it, you know, <laughs> and it works. It, it's got soul. It's got, you know, and, and, and sometimes that element's missing from Brian's bigger productions. And I love the bigger productions. I think smile is, is the epitome of, of his work, but, but I love this kind of direct approach as well. Yeah. And these songs really lent themselves well to being done on stage. And we, we get a little taste of that when they were, um, when they were touring it in 1967, that's on the CD release. They hadn't quite, like if you listen to Late in Hawaii and and the and the tracks that were recorded in Hawaii, the live ones, pretty thin, like overall sound wise, because you know, Bruce wasn't there, he, he bowed out for this. Uh Brian was there playing the organ and, and I guess according to the notes, that left, you know, I I think maybe Carl was playing bass and Al was playing guitar. I've been listening to, to some of the patter on stage in these tracks and that seems to be what it indicates. So they're going with one guitar so it, you know, I can see why this live album wasn't released. It, it, it sounds pretty thin, but I think they yeah. probably in in the label refusing to release the Late in Hawaii album, maybe that made them realize, okay, we have to fatten our group, you know. And so they brought mm-hmm. in this great horn section and extra players, Daryl Dragon, Mike Kowalski, people like this. And boy, you listen to Live in London, which was recorded in 1968. They've really gotten better live, you know, and, and they continued to get better. I mean, you know, into the early 70s, what a fantastic uh, live outfit they were. And these Wild Honey songs, which are simpler than the Pet Sound songs, transfer very well. Horn sections on songs like Aren't You Glad, Darlin' they always do in concert. I think uh, they, they've fed a lot of uh, their future uh, set list with this album. Yeah, it, it... I've thought if I could only have one concert album, I think Live in London is the one I'd grab. I know I'd lose a lot of great songs, but uh, there's there's just a sound or a set maybe, a set list there that you don't get on a lot of the other albums. It's just, uh, and it takes me back, you know, to concerts during that time, but uh, I, I just love that sound. It's short and sweet. The only, I think, mistake with, with the release of that album is they didn't put that great Dennis song, All I Want to Do, at the end. Like, really one of their great rockers. You know, I think if they had kept that on because it was performed at, at those shows, that would have uh, put it through the roof. But I agree with you that uh, that, to me, is, is their best live album. But the, but the one they put out in uh, 1973, Beach Boys Concert, is also very good. Like, you know, being a double album, it's a bit more formless. But there are some great performances on that one. Uh, Let the Wind Blow, I think that is the best version they've ever laid down of that one with Carl singing the lead and some uh, great guitar soloing there. That's a fantastic track. And and, and that's one that you talked about before, Phil. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've done a little bit on, on my uh, blog on that. Um, as I've listened to it, some people would think I'm crazy on this, but as I've listened to it, I'm thinking, well, who is Brian talking to? And at least... For me, as a person who prays, I'm thinking that this it sounds like a prayer. I mean, who else would be asking to keep the wind blowing and you know don't take her out of my life? So it's uh, it it just takes me to a different place. Well, and and a lot of the music of that time has that kind of spirituality, I think. And 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 let's give credit to Mike Love here because. I mean, although, you know, I've I've read the credits to this album many times. I know that Mike Love wrote the lyrics to just about every song. I think it's easily forgotten. Like when I read Mike Love's recent book and he talks about writing Country Air, like for some reason, Country Air just seems like the kind of thing that came out of Smile because Smile has all those songs about the environment and the elements. And so, so you assume it's a Van Dyke Parks brian wilson thing but in fact it's it's a mike love thing i mean he wrote some great lyrics that was re- this is really the last i mean it's a long time ago 50 years but really <laughs> the last great sustained mike love brian wilson collaboration yeah. because sure on sunflower they have three songs together which are great but that's it i mean you know they they probably worked a lot together on the miu album but you know that's that's uh, brian seems to be working under protest at that point so uh this is really the the, the goodbye to the the great partnership and showed uh how good it could be yeah i also noticed that carl has a lead or shares lead on just about every song not every song but you know more than two or three it, it's just a, another revelation to me that 
uh, his voice and his prowess musically, uh, and none of them really like God only knows necessarily. So it's it's just the uh, what what am I what, what am I looking for here? That, that, I, I think what, in the liner notes they say this was the debut of his rock and roll voice. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And when I step back from that specific or the one you just mentioned about Brian and Mike, it just reminds me that. You know, everybody says America's band, California surf. It, it, of course, that that's there, but there is so much more. Like if if the only three albums someone had of of this group, if they didn't know their name, I mean, Smiley Smile, Wild Honey, uh, Friends, that that sequence, I mean, that that's a a career for for many groups uh, and beyond. And, and this is just one little segment of you know of course they lasted so long but still they were producing music all these times they were going in a very unique direction i mean if if somebody released those three albums today this would be like revered indie rock no question yeah very true and i need mean, to talk about the legacy for a second i just wanted to mention i mean darlin is, is is really one of the great melodies that that brian ever came up with it was great back in 1964 when it was cut as thinking about you baby uh right. by sharon marie it's fantastic maybe his best girl group uh effort or one of them but uh you know so they recycled that fantastic melody and it, it's just it's beautiful and I don't know if you caught this, but uh, I think it was last season, The Big Bang Theory, which is like the most popular show everywhere, had a yeah. whole episode around this uh, this song. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, I heard about it, but didn't catch the episode, so unpack it a little bit. So, I mean, essentially, Sheldon, the, the lead character, is plagued by this song because he has this song in his head, and he can <laughs> hum it, but he doesn't know what it is. He's like, what is this song? What is this song? And uh, so the whole episode, throughout the whole episode, he's trying, he's humming it, it's keeping him up at night, it's driving him crazy. And then somebody, I think, mentions Brian Wilson's name, and then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, that's it. Like, I think the, the camera even, like, goes into his brain, you know, and uh, he makes the connection. And, uh, you know, the lyrics, again, are so great. Like, I think, like, like Mike Love's portrayal of male-female relationships in some of these lyrics are, are really positive and really good. And uh, the lyrics, he goes over the lyrics in his head and, and it inspires him to uh, to propose to his girlfriend to make up with her. At the end of the episode, he runs to, to her door and she answers the door and he quotes some of these lyrics to her. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, like, it's like a major moment in the series, you know. And I thought, that's fantastic. And somebody said to me, well, why didn't they choose a more popular song that everybody knows? But, I mean, this shows, for those who do know it, how great the song is. I, I have one of my friends too has always felt that those lyrics had a very special meaning to him. So, I mean, kudos to Mike Love for the work that he did on that album. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a great song. And, you know, again, having lived through those days, I, uh, I guess I got to get over it, but it's like, how could it not be top 10, top five? You know, I know the top 40 was fading at that point, but uh, you know, some of the groups still managed to, uh, some of the latter songs, like the Four Seasons or even Dave Clark Five, some of their almost last songs were as good or not or better than many of their super big hits earlier. And I think the Beach Boys were certainly an example of that with several of their singles. But you know, they just didn't really chart well. Well, '67 uh, was was the time when it all kind of went south for them commercially. Yeah. You know, there's oh, just yeah. this confluence of events. I mean, you know, Smile had been delayed and delayed and people waited and then they didn't get it and then you know smiley smile comes out and it's it's so weird and it's not this grand production thing that 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 had been talked about with regards to smile and then they didn't play the monterey pop festival which was another mistake you know so it's almost they were saying well we don't belong in this new movement because very quickly like all these people like janice joplin and the who and Jimi hendrix and otis redding and the birds and the buffalo springfield were just moving things forward and it, it looked like the beach boys were being left behind and then we hear them like in hawaii you know doing surfing you know, right. these, these going back to, to, to that well. So, you know, it's unfortunate because uh, by the time Wild Honey came out, I think a lot of people were tuning out. Like, they'd already lost some of their audience. But, uh, but hey, you know, good, good art prevails. And, uh, you know, when they got really popular again in 1974, the album was re-released with 2020, which is another fantastic album, if you ask me. Uh, two, two for album release. And yeah. uh, all of a sudden, people were like, hey, this, uh, this is actually really good. 
Yeah, it's fun to still be around for me and seeing those things. You know, in those days, I'm saying, no one's listening, but I'm saying, hey, this is great stuff. You know, play this single or... Well, when did you sort of get over your initial disappointment uh, on Wild Honey and and, and embrace it? Well, in some ways now, I mean, I didn't completely ignore it. I've not tried not to ignore any of their stuff. But uh, I think if someone had said, what's this Wild Honey thing? I I don't know that I would have effervesced the way I'm feeling uh, after having, you know, listened to uh, this mix you know, several, more than several times now. So it's, you know, it's jumped up way high uh, in, on my, you know, list of uh, great bridge. Well, that's the problem. I, th- I think all of them, I guess my retrospective is they're all, it, so much was, back then it was so much sequencing, the same thing doing better. You know, this is another Sir song, but it's better than the other ones. And, and what we've ran into with, uh, you know, as we were going through it, we didn't realize it. Pet Sounds was absolutely different. Uh, Smile had it come out, and some of us heard some of this stuff, absolutely different. Smiley Smile, absolutely different. Uh, and this was another step in that direction, and so would Friends in 2020 and all that. And I, I don't know that I adjusted my personal evaluative brain with that. It's, it's like almost always comparing it to, Ah, but Beach Boys today, you know, why don't we have one side of this and one side of that? Well, I I think it's because we didn't get Smile. If Smile had come out, I think Wild Honey would have been perceived as more of a statement. Like, here, here they are going back to basics, you know, because everybody did that. Because you can't go for the production touchdown every single time. I mean, it would have killed Brian, you know? I mean, the Beatles didn't. The White Album has a lot of simpler stuff on it, uh, you know, and then we got the band doing like very stripped down stuff. And I mean, they've, they've actually, Robbie Robertson has acknowledged Smiley Smile as, as being an influence on that. Like, I mean, in retrospect, you could say they're ahead of the, the curve and it doesn't sound like Brian's too depressed during these sessions. I mean, and, and, well, and I know that's true. Yeah, and, and, and I think one of the rev- sorry to interrupt, just one of the revelations no. to me is that we always hear that Brian retreated and Carl had to take over. I'm not sure how true that is, at least based on this release, because you hear Brian leading them all throughout these sessions. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's counting down. He's yeah. telling them what to yeah. do. You know, so I think he's very intact. He seems very happy. And now I'm sure the answer's out there. I don't know what it is. Why did he record Surfs Up? during the Wild Honey sessions. Why did he do it again? Maybe mm-hmm. perhaps he wanted to take some of those sections because something was missing. Because there was, there was talk he was still going to complete Smile. You know, so, yeah. so maybe Smile was just something he was putting on the shelf. I'll get back to it because that's the way he, he operates. And, you know, let's do something. I feel inspired to do something different. I mean, he must be inspired. You can't write songs like Darling and Aren't You Glad and Wild <laughs> Honey and not be inspired. Absolutely. Well, in that time, uh, Carl kept saying, you know, it was like every year and a half or so, yeah, Smile's going to come out soon. Now, he, you know, I don't think he was lying or just trying to string people along. I think what he was reflecting is that what I'm inferring from what you said, that they would go back and probably talk about it, think about it. Yeah, we'll get back to it. Um, how do I know? I'm making, you know, I'm making this up in my own mind. But it, it, this just seems to confirm that, that Brian was still in charge, even though the whole group was now functioning more as a group. And when you talk about a moment ago, uh, Wild Honey, Smiley Smile, you know, being back to basics, in real time, there was a magazine, maybe you know about it, Crawdaddy, Paul Williams, and one of their articles was basically this, that uh, John Wesley Harding, uh, the Beatles, what was their come get back or whatever they're back to basics and and they recognized that you know brian wilson was uh, in that mix as well so there were some who recognized what was really happening but you know the the major zeitgeist about him was uh you know out of out of touch and uh, well i think people wanted wanted that you know the beach boys were were so i mean they're really the only band I think that I can mention, you know, who predate the Beatles, but who survived psychedelia. They were able to totally do something memorable in that era and keep going beyond that. I think like the psychedelic era killed a lot of, a lot of, yeah. uh, 
the earlier bands. I, I don't even remember where I, where I was heading with that thought. Well, well, one of the one of the examples to me of that is the Four Seasons. They had a whole psychedelic album. I must have been. I haven't listened to the whole thing, but you know, it. it I don't know if anyone's listened to it, and yet um, I think they 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 didn't just go through it. I mean, Smiley Smile is. Uh, what did Mike say? They used to play it in some psychiatric wards to help people kind of uh, chill out or something. I don't know. But That's right. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. Yeah. So they, uh, you know, they've made their mark and they continue to. And so I, I love these cop- this copyright law. Thank God for it because we're getting stuff that uh, the, the record company never would have given us. And, and, you know, we're seeing more of what really is happening. I, I think this is the most interesting one to date. And, uh, yeah. You know, I, I am looking forward to, to the next ones because I, I think it's interesting when Dennis starts becoming a, a creative force. And I, I, I suspect and I hope <laughs> that there's stuff out there uh, by him that uh, that we still haven't heard. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. Uh, so some of the uh, other stuff on there uh, for someone who maybe hasn't listened to it, uh, not quite as important as just the, the exact wild honey cuts or what do you think? Um, well, I mean, there's some interesting stuff. I mean, there, there's there's uh, songs, you know, recorded at that time that that were not on Wild Honey. Like Lonely Days, I think, is a beautiful little song. I really wish they'd finished that one. I mean, yeah. even what we have, it's uh, it's fantastic. I think it would have been one of the best cuts on that album. Uh, we get a couple of backing tracks for uh, songs that were supposed to be on the album but never completed, like Hide, Go, Seek, Honey, Get Home. I mean, those are interesting to listen to. We got some session highlights. I particularly like the, the one with "Aren't You Glad," sort of showing us how how that song was built. And and then, I mean, it's interesting that they did tour behind this because I I wasn't aware of them doing much of this uh, material live even at the time. So although you could tell Carl uh, doesn't know all the words yet, he kind of flubs up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a few of them. But uh, yeah. good to hear them doing those songs uh, live. And then you've got uh, Smiley Smile sessions. Which are great because there's so much great singing and in, in smiley smile and just interesting instrumentation. Like you certainly scaled down from smile, but I, I think wonderful is just fantastic. I mean, you know, both versions, the smile version and the smiley smile version. It's such a haunting, mysterious, sensual song, you know. And 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 yeah. I, I can listen to that all day long. And even like you know, a little segment like the one from. Uh, the Redwood group that Brian was producing that, that became Three Dog Night. I mean, that to me sounds like, gosh, that sounds like cabin essence or it could be on Smile, you mm-hmm. know. So it, it just makes you wonder what direction Brian was, was going in with Redwood. You know, and I, I think Mike Love kind of, you know, according to Danny Hutton, what he told me, that, that Mike Love tried to put the kibosh on that as, as quickly as possible because, you know, it was taking too much of Brian's time and, and some of his songs, like Time to Get Alone. I mean, Danny oh Hutton was very involved in, in building that instrumental track. He still talks about it. Um, but, you know, Mike Love didn't want Brian to dedicate all his time to doing an album for Redwood. And, uh, you know, as we know, Darlin' and um, and Time to Get Alone were, were meant for Redwood. And uh, yeah. the Beach Boys weren't going to let those great uh, melodies go. Well, they, so, let, uh, they let Surf City get away a few years before. Yeah, so that, that must sure have hurt. They didn't want to do that. But... Uh, it was, uh, I don't know, Epiphany or Goosebumps or something when I heard, uh, you know, I heard Time to Get Alone on the, the album when it came out. But hearing years later just the vocals, it was like, oh, my goodness, this is this is glorious. Uh, the sound, uh, forget the lyrics. I mean, the lyrics are fine, but uh, just amazing. Uh, another one for me was uh, Wind Chimes. The, you know, the yeah. Smiley Smile version is very different than the, the one that would have been Smile. And first time hearing that one, it's like, oh my goodness, this is almost a different song. It's just beautiful in a totally different way. I mean, you could take any track off Wild Honey or Smiley Smile and it's somebody's favorite. Like even a song like Little Pad, hearing that again, I mean, it's such a funny song because, I mean, they they sound pretty stoned. (laughs) I don't know if that was just an effect they were putting on or whether they were. I mean, you know, it's it's the whole Beach Boys party thing on acid. But, um, you know, so it seems like it's a throwaway cut. But then when you hear the instrumental track, you know, it's another one of those interesting Brian Wilson arrangements of the Smile era, you know, and it's got like that Hawaiian sound to it and, and all these different segments. 
you know, and, and one of the omissions from my book, which I feel bad about because I can only get 50 people in, uh, Proben Gregory from uh, Brian's band, like I, I had a chat with him backstage in Milwaukee in 2008, and, and the song he wanted to talk about was Little Pat. That's that's a song that's you know, maybe the most <laughs> special one to him. So, I mean, every song is, is special. It's, just, it's such an esoteric yeah. era, you know, and what about Getting Hungry? You know, that, that's a song that was a flop single. But, you know, oh, I, didn't, it, I didn't like it when it first came out. I'm like, oh, what is this? Well, it's interesting because when they play it live in Hawaii and you hear it here, uh, it's, it's such a weird song because it starts off like really grating and, and, and loud and then it gets really quiet, you know, yeah. and, and the audience had never heard the song before. And they kind of giggle when, when it goes into this, this quiet mode because it's such a weird break, you know, but. I think that points to Wild Honey. Like getting hungry is sounds to me like like what what the Wild what? Honey song became. And, and yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, the Faces, who are another band that I love, a real cult band with Rod Stewart, Ronnie Wood, Ronnie Wood. Right, right. They right. covered that song. I don't know if you've ever heard that. That I didn't know. I've got to oh, find you that. Got, you got to dig up, dig it up with Rod Stewart singing it. Um, Ian McLagan, who recently passed away, keyboardist for The Faces, uh, he was also their archivist, and he put out this fantastic uh, box set a few years ago called Five Guys Walk Into a Bar. And uh, <laughs> so what, what he, he says in the liner notes that um, this was, he used to carry that single around with him all the time, and, and he was looking for them to do something with it. And so uh, they, they did a few takes of it, which are, which are quite fine. And, and it, one of the regrets was that they didn't work on it further, and, and perhaps it could have been something. But that just shows you that, that every one of these songs has touched somebody in the music world or a fan in a major way. Well, getting hungry, like I said, when I first, you know, back in the day, I just didn't like it. It certainly didn't go anywhere. But listening to the, the treat, I'll call it a different treatment, treatment they gave it live, I realize live is not, you know, especially back then, it's pretty hard to replicate. But it just had a different flow to it or feel to it or something. And it, at least for my sensibilities, it's like, okay, I, I can dig this. Whereas the other, I was like, well, I love everything Brian and Mike do, but, you know, this, this just didn't grab me. And it's interesting uh, they didn't release it as a Beach Boys single proper, but they attribute it to, to Brian and Mike. I'm wondering what the logic was behind yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, someone, I'm again, back to Endless Summer Quarterly, and maybe I'm reading into someone's comment too much, but, you know, the, the, the idea of the conversation was that, okay, Brian's doing this album pretty much with Van Dyke Park, Smile, so... Mike, you get the next album. So maybe it was a way of Brian got this, you know, oh, Caroline, no. Maybe this is a way to say, okay, Mike, you've, you've got a single too. I, that's all speculation. But. Well, that, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, to show that Brian and Mike were, were back together again, hopefully creating some magic. Little do people know how weird these songs were. <laughs> weird but I mean, Smiley Smile, um, it, you know, I think at the time alienated so many people, but again, is highly revered by critics like Robert Crisco and, and by musicians. Alice Cooper mentions it as a favorite. Steven Tyler from Aerosmith, he, he once talked about, you know, if he was given three records he could bring to a desert island, that's one of the ones, you know. So wow. it's, uh, it has lasted and it has influenced people. Well, I think maybe I represent just fans who just like, you know, does it sound good? Uh, I think some, you know, some of these songs are brief, real brief, and maybe that makes someone, you know, like I can't dig into the the music or the chord shifts or it's modular and he's, you know, doing this and that. Um, so, so so maybe it just didn't get the gra have the gravitas because of even its brevity that uh, that it really has now when you listen to it. And again, back to this sunshine tomorrow, what Boyd and Lynette did, it it really opens up. The listening experience to everyone, but maybe maybe it helps someone like myself who's just a fan of theirs to go, okay, there's something here I hadn't heard before, and there's a depth even to the the, the structure of the song, even though it's brief, that you know I've just not paid attention to. So I, I think yeah, that the brevity is a statement unto itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, all their albums were brief in that era, you know. Well, and, that's true. Yeah. And if if I would invoke Robert Crisco one more time, he said they leave you wanting more. Better that <laughs> than wearing out your welcome, right? Yeah. Well, we could, you know, no MacArthur Park on this album, that's for sure. <laughs> no. So, 
Well, fun to talk about this. Any other comments or thoughts or predict the future or anything you want to do? Well, I mean, uh, we haven't talked too much about Late in Hawaii and how they went back into the studio to try and salvage this idea because the uh, on-stage performances weren't considered uh, good enough to, to be released as an album. They went into Wally Heider's studio and, yeah. and uh, you know, recorded live in the studio and we're going to add some uh, audience sound. It's an interesting album because, I mean, it takes that, that stripped-down aesthetic. I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like... Uh, I hate to be too druggy in references, but it sounds like they're on downers in that album. But I mean, it's yeah. a very interesting treatment. Not all the tracks, like like the letter, they do a great version of the box top song, the letter. And I mean, uh, they toured with the box tops and Alex Chilton was a bit of a hanger on. He was, uh, you know, definitely yeah. at Dennis Wilson's house during the Charles Manson summer. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, he's, you know, uh, up to his grave, Alex Chilton, who, you know, was great with big star. He, uh, you know, he, talked about how great Brian Wilson was and he loved those songs and it's, it's nice to see it's nice to see Brian return the favorites it's nice to see them covering songs from that era you know like not just four freshman type stuff but they're covering the box tops they're covering um, Game of Love mm-hmm. by Wayne Fontana I believe uh, with a little help from my friends which I think is a great treatment yeah. you know with, with Bruce great to hear Bruce singing a lead vocal way back in 1967 Mm-hmm. Although, you know, being the anti-drug guy that he is, I wonder, you know, like Richard Nixon, how he felt when he found out what the song was really about, or if he, <laughs> if he, if he knew what those friends being referenced really were, I don't yeah. know. But uh, but anyway, I, I think I think there's a lot of artistic merit to uh, to that late in Hawaii stuff, like, you know, help you, Rhonda, instead of help me, Rhonda, that, that works surprisingly well. Just the, treating the, the, those songs that way is, is, is a very interesting uh, alternate to, to what we usually uh, hear. Yeah. The version of of Surfer Girl is beautiful. Yeah, and while I'm, you know, listening to the, the, the those that section, I'm thinking there here's a word maybe I've been searching for before. They're very intentional. It I, I think again, living through it, you kinda of think, ah, they're off their game, they're just showing up. Uh, these songs are short because they can't figure out what to write. You know, I mean stupid stuff, but that kind of thinking. And this is telling me Hey, they're they're being very intentional. What do we want this to sound like? Whether it was better or not, I mean, or how do we just using these instruments make this work? So I've always well, been and if proud you think of, of the masterpieces that Brian made in in you know 1963-64, those songs were all two minutes too. You know, yeah, it's just, that's it's, true. I guess the the era had changed so that you're getting these like longer songs and. And, and solos and stuff like that. And uh, you're right. I think I think your, your use of the word intentional is is spot on. Because I mean, if we take a track like if we go to the Friends album afterwards, "Meant for You," I mean, it's a bit of a shocker. It's a 38 second opener. Right. First you time know? I heard that. Yeah. Shock. Oh, it's done. Uh, it felt like I was in church and it was the uh, you know the invocation to come and worship kind of thing. I well, it, it, and in my book, I have Ira Kaplan from Yola Tango, who's a real music scholar as well. You know, t- that's the song he wanted to talk about. He wanted to talk about a 38-second song because he's like, <laughs> who in their right mind opens an album with a 38-second song, you know? Um, <laughs> but we know that more was recorded. Like, often people just say, oh, well, Brian could not finish the idea. We've heard that many, many times. But, you know, as was clear when, when the Made in California box set came out, right. uh, that song is actually longer. But, you know... I think they did the right thing. I think it makes more of an impact at 38 seconds because, first of all, the lyrics get kind of strange about ponies and things. But yeah, uh, help me with that. No, no, ignore that. Keep going. <laughs> so anyway, so so yeah. I, I think I think they 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 knew when to stop it. You know. Well, yeah, and you're right. At the time, I mean, you had good vibrations. What was it? Three minutes, 36 seconds, something like that. Heroes and villains could have been a whole suite if it had been finished. That probably would have been a three-minute, seven-minute, eleven-minute version, that kind of thing. So uh, suddenly, boom, he's dropping something that's two minutes and seven seconds back, like you say in the old days. But so uh, again, for me, this is just uh, like hearing it, you know, the for the first time. And I know that gets a little funky after saying it a lot, but it really is. Well, you know, at first I was kind of like, yeah, we've heard a lot of this stuff before, but why can I not stop listening to it? It's been yeah, like a exactly. constant rotation for the last few days. Exactly. So I wonder, like, uh, Boyd and Lynette, uh, uh, how important are they to the legacy of the Beach Boys? 
Um, I would say they're pretty huge. Yeah, it sure seems like it. It's like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are gifted in the the areas that these guys are. But I think what they bring to it is uh, a love for the Beach Boy music. And that love is also a high regard for its um, proper recognition. And, uh, you know, well, thank, I, I think thankfully all this stuff still exists. <laughs> it's been cared yes. for to the point where we can listen to it and it can, it can be, you know, broken down and, and, and distributed the way it has been. And, and yeah, kudos to, to Mark. I mean, these guys are like, you know, they're, they're, uh, Boyd's in charge of the archive and, 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 and Lynette's doing all, all the mixing. And, you know, when I talked to Bruce Johnston for my book, he said he never even met Mark Lynette. You know, but I mean, here's a guy that's that's you know very instrumental to reviving and and, and getting us yeah. to hear things in a different way, and and as you say, uh, that leads to revelation uh, in this case. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, so the next one ought to be Friends, right? Wouldn't that be? Well, and, and I guess stuff? all the 2020 stuff was also recorded in 1968. Yeah, so maybe we'll get one like this for those. I mean, those are also uh, very different distinct but great sounds in those albums again not big sellers but again i'm just glad i'm around long enough to to to, to experience beach boy music when it's getting its proper regard um, and not not worried about the sales figures or did it make the top 40 it's just great music I think the digital era had a lot to do with the Beach Boys being reevaluated. I mean, like as I said, they were there. Nobody was talking about them when I was uh, in my late teens and in the yeah. late 1980s. But then when everything got when it started with Pet Sounds being released on CD, and then and then all the other albums after that, and all of a sudden, you know, the word revelation was being thrown around a lot back then, and and all of a sudden, like you had this huge uh, group of of young independent artists who really uh, hooked into that stuff and uh, mm-hmm. it was very influential and, and I think now at least you know I think most people who are into the music scene realize the kind of regard that the Beach Boys are held in well one of these days we'll get around to the box set of Problem Child and that will be a real revelation <laughs> oh, <mercy. laughs> that, that will be when they run out of uh, this other stuff yeah yeah if I'm still around, I'd probably still go buy it. That's the problem. <laughs> well, Mark, anything else before we uh, head off to the sunset here? No, I, I think that's it. I think, uh, you know, definitely, as I said, great for fans. So uh, if people are debating whether or not they should get it, I think uh, if they care at all about this wild honey album, and they should, then it's uh, it's worth their time. Totally agree. Well, thanks for being with me on this, Mark. We'll do something again down the road, okay? Sounds great, Phil. Sounds good.